Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Fluid Fan Podcast, brought to you by Sports Innovation Lab. I am your host, Angela Ruggiero, CEO and co-founder of Sports Innovation Lab. You know us well, you're listening to this podcast, but if this is your first time uh, and you haven't been on our website, you haven't worked with us, we're a market research and strategy company focused on the intersection of sports and technology. We think about sports tech and at the ultimately creating breakthrough fan experiences through tech. We do that by knowing about the fan, the fluid fan, as we've defined. That's what this podcast is all about. You got to know your fans to back into the tech. You got to know your fans to create those breakthrough fan experiences to stay relevant in today's attention economy. So if you want to learn more about our uh, our business, our research reports, um, any of our, our data tools, check out sportsilab.com. So I've got a great show for you today uh, that focuses on the booming, absolutely booming market, taking the sports industry and fluid fans by storm. If you haven't been paying attention, the market of digital collectibles and trading cards is taking off. Again, fluid fans look and act very differently. I certainly loved the old school trading card industry where, you know, I had that physical card as a young person. I I loved opening up those hard packs of cards and getting that, that memorable experience. But this digital collectible space is what we're going to talk about today. So my guest today, without further ado, is Jason Howarth, the VP of marketing for Panini America. Um, He's here to tell you all about the technology of these crypto collectibles Uh, and offer you an in-depth look into the trading card industry today. Again, it's evolved uh, with the times and he'll share his insights there, but I've I've gotten to know Jason uh, as a member of our Fluid Fan Leadership Board. Um, He spent over a decade as the VP of Marketing at Panini, so he knows this industry very well. Um, And uh, on today's show, he's gonna explain how Panini works with athletes to tell their stories, uh, to help them build their brands and uh, to create new opportunities for fans to follow their players, but really how they're doing that differently with tech. This massive shift to digital collectibles is something we should all, if you care about fluid fans and you know going to where the fan is, you got to learn about digital collectibles. It's uh, it's no surprise that Panini's moving in this direction, um, but you know hopefully if you're listening to this podcast, that's that's your big takeaway for today. So. Let's jump right into my interview uh, with Jason Howard, the VP of Marketing for Panini America. All right, welcome to the Fluid Fan Podcast. Really excited for our guest today, someone I've gotten to know through the leadership board at Sports Innovation Lab, Jason Howarth, the Vice President of Marketing for Panini America. Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, Angela, how are you? Great. How are you doing? Good, good. All right. Well, we're excited to have you on. Panini is, you know, everyone hopefully knows. I mean, I'm, we go way back in my relationship with, with your company, my youth, but you're a world leader in officially licensed collectibles, leading, you know, multinational publisher of comics, children's magazines, a number of things. Tell us what you do in your words. What, what's, who are, what is Panini? What's your role there? We'll, we'll dive into the rest. Sure, sure. So um, VP of Marketing for Panini America. We're the leading uh, trading card partner, you know, for a lot of leagues and players associations, including the NFL and the NFL Players Association, the NBA and the NBA 
Players Association, FIFA, you know, the English Premier League, a ton of collegiate licenses, NASCAR, the U.S. Women's National Team, WNBA, I could go on, but you, you get the point. So uh, we produce trading cards of athletes. So you, so you give us you give us the platform. Uh, I love trading cards. Obviously, yeah. I'm I love them as a kid, uh, even as an adult. You know, who doesn't? We'll get into how the traditional trading card market has evolved into the digital world on this show. But before we dive into to Panini, walk us through your career a little bit. Um, Want to make sure our listeners understand how you got here and what you do specifically within within Panini and your your job as VP of marketing. Yeah, for sure. So. I mean, started out, uh, went to Boston University majoring in communications, Uh, was fortunate to do an internship for a week at the NHL All-Star Game in Boston in 1996. And I thought, if I could marry sports and public relations, I'd have the ultimate dream job. And of course, it was a dream job when I started because I didn't get it, you know, and, you know, ended up just going to do some things that I could do to, you know, pay the bills. Uh, working in an investor relations firm, and then migrated over to uh, Allen Taylor Communications in 1998, which is a leading sports lifestyle PR agency, now Taylor PR. Worked with them for five years, including on a number of big initiatives like the Olympics in uh, Salt Lake in 2002, uh, with partners like AT&T Wireless and you know Gillette in the Men's World Cup in 2002 in Japan. Uh, and a whole bunch of other things in between. So from there, I, I moved on and uh, started working for an agency in Boston called Over Total Pace, which was a full service advertising agency, really kind of developed more of my background, rounded out the marketing and communication side of it for me, you know, taking on some of that advertising side of it and was there for eight years, working on a number of different brands and, you know, started working with Donruss Trading Cards on the side based on some relationships we had with Pop Warner. Uh, and then Donruss was bought by Panini when Panini became the exclusive trading card partner of the NBA in 2009. So really kind of angled to get in front of Panini and wanted to be the, you know, the agency for them uh, as they launched in the U.S. marketplace. And nine months later, our CEO, Mark Warsaw, uh, asked me to join as the VP of marketing uh, with the caveat of moving to Texas, uh, which I never thought I'd do uh, being a Northeast guy. But right. uh, we've been awesome. here for 11 years now. <laughs> Well, enjoy the enjoy the warm weather. I'm in Boston still, so uh, you, you traded some warm weather for cold. For sure. Very very smart. Not just going to Panini. Obviously, we're we're following them, but yeah, come visit me sometime. Um, I'd love to. <laughs> so at Sports Innovation Lab, we've seen a huge surge in the digital collectible market. Um, yeah. You know, the we we talk a lot about athlete driven media. And how athletes are now, obviously, they always have been, but increasingly now have have a voice and are creating content. A lot of the discussion previously have been around, you know, the wearables and the performance data and all the, you know, the performance side. But but these new collectibles have really made a splash recently, you know, seeing the NBA launch NBA Top Shot, where you can buy and trade video highlights on a digital marketplace. It's a mouthful, but like, Check it out. Google it if you haven't seen it. Uh, You know, MLB has these crypto collectible bobbleheads and European soccer markets got, um, you know, they're 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 creating, you know, similar types of of collectibles. Just can you just do me a favor for those that don't know what the digital collectible market is? Break that down. What are they? 
How is that different mm -hmm. um, and, a, and a shift, an innovative shift from the traditional collectible playing card? Sure. I mean, I think for us, we look at it, 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 you know, in the trading card collectible community is, you know, just another extension of what we're doing from a physical perspective. And I think on the physical side, the thing that's so compelling about trading cards is that it doesn't matter whether you're four years old or 40 years old. When you get a pack of cards in your hand, you want to know what's inside. And if you happen to get a player from your favorite team, you're ecstatic. It doesn't matter how old you are. And so, you know, to be able to have that as part of your platform and, you know, some of those marketing emotions that are just natural and organic is so compelling. And so we've spent a lot of time trying to figure out how do we bring that same experience into the digital space. And, and so uh, probably about four or five years ago, we launched our digital trading card apps for the NFL, our Blitz app, our Dunk app for the NBA, and our FIFA app for this last World Cup here in 2018. And, and so, you know, that has been a really good engagement app in terms of getting a younger audience engaged in the platform and getting people excited about trading cards. It's been an extension of what we do from a physical perspective. You know, there's gamification within those apps. You know, I think we realize that it's a, it's a key component to keep, you know, that extension and that relevance from a trading card perspective among, you know, new tech people. But I, the last two years, we spent really diving into what does blockchain mean for us as a category, and how can we best introduce blockchain into our into our space and and make it relevant. And there's a couple of different pieces that are important for us from a blockchain perspective. Perspective. So, you know, we have cards on the physical side that are selling on average for fifty thousand dollars. You know, an autograph card of a rookie player like Ja Morant or Zion Williamson, for the, that matter, around the NBA. And so, you know, it gives us a secondary level of authentication, really important, right? But on the other side of it, you know, bringing that to market, we started to think about, you know, how do we best bring it to market? We have, we are for and foremost, a collectible. We don't have to create a collectible to be crypto or digital. We are a collectible. And so how do we bring that experience into blockchain and what's the best path for us? And so we early on very real, you know, realize that, you know, when there's a volatility based on player performances, you know, which creates value in the, you know, in a trading card based on how well a player performs. Yeah. That level of volatility. And the last thing we wanted to do was create a level of volatility based on currency, right? So the cryptocurrency we're like, Oh, okay. Well, one, we have to get collectors to understand that, you know, two, now we're creating volatility in the marketplace on something we have zero control over, not really something we like to do. Mm -hmm. So we decided that we'd make it, um, we'd, we'd go to a private blockchain platform on our website, PaniniMarket.net, and all of our collectibles on the blockchain side are traded uh, in US dollars. So you understand the currency and you understand the value of the player. And that really gelled well for us. And our first, you know, our first piece out of the gate, we launched a hundred card physical and digital blockchain set back in January that covered, you know, all the spectrum of sports, you know, the best athletes that you could, you, you could get your hands on everyone from Honus Wagner to, you know, John Morant and Zion Williamson and Kyler Murray at the time, you know, rookies in the, in the space currently playing the game. And so uh, we started with that, but the thing that we wanted to do was, you know, we have to educate our collectors. What is blockchain? What is a digital yeah. asset? you know, what is a digital collectible? So, so let's, so let's start there then. Cause again, I certainly collected the physical cards. I still yeah. in my basement have like thousands of hockey cards that I used to love, you know, open in the right. pack and all that. Um, yeah. But now 
you're moving from analog to digital fluid fans in particular are the ones that um that are adopting i believe you know this new style of fandom and collecting you're giving them agency now whether it's on one of your four apps you're giving them the ability to to consume more content right on these platforms be more yeah. drawn to these players and you know increase the value for everyone why do you think you know maybe i'm answering the question but why are why are fans drawn to this new uh, you educate them on, look, we're, we're moving to digital, we're moving to blockchain now and standardizing, you know, currency, et cetera, et cetera. Like, do fans get it? Fluid, is this a thing? Tell me about how your business has grown because, you know, they're... Yeah, they're... Some, some fans get it and some fans don't fully get it. Our job is yeah. to help them get there, right? And so what we did early on was we, you know, we've got a couple of different executions as it relates to blockchain. We have a physical and a digital component. So, you know, when we first introduced it, you know, there was a physical element tied to that blockchain asset. So they understood the value of the physical asset, not fully understanding the blockchain value, but there was a premium there, you know, yeah. usually about 20 to 30%, depending on what the, who the player was. You know, then we also went straight purely blockchain where there is no physical asset tied to it. And as it relates to that, we're rolling out blockchain product you know, every single week on our website, we break it out, we release 10 cards in blockchain format, you know, on our website every single week. And so, you know, for those people that understand the digital space, they're buying into it. And these collectors that are used to collecting physical now understand, hey, there's a value on the digital asset as well. Yeah. And well, so, you know, yeah, so I mean, we've, we've really incorporated blockchain across the board into our in, into our platforms, yeah. whether it's tied to a physical element, or purely digital element, or incorporating it into our actual physical product that goes out. That's cool. So the um, the PWCC Market Index, which is a leading trading card marketplace auction house, um, mm -hmm. they've seen growth roughly two and a half times the rate of S and P 500 since 2008. The growth mm -hmm. of this market, right? So it's growing. Trading cards are growing. I'm curious, um, is that more physical? Is that more digital? How is blockchain affected? Like, give us a breakdown then of, of the fans that get it. Are we going to see a future in which all trading cards are digital? Or do you think there's still a no. world where the physical goods yeah. are always going to be what we want to put on the shelf and pick up and show someone? There is always going to be a spot for physical. And I, I would tell you that 95% of our business, maybe even 95 to 98% of our business is still heavily focused on the physical side. And that's where the value is in terms of your S&P, you know, commentary. I mean, that that's where they're seeing the surge and the value on the secondary market of those players. Okay. Um, you know, the digital assets still in its infancy, but you know, our job is to continue to grow and adapt the collectible market and get people to understand that side of it. Yep. And so, you know, for example, uh, you know, Kobe Bryant is a, you know, a great example. We he's been one of our exclusive athletes since 2009. Global, global ambassador for us. We've got many cards for him. He was one of the first, you know, blockchain cards we introduced back in January before his accident, um, unfortunately. And, you know, the person that bought that card, you know, that has that digital asset, you know, I mean, I assume that that asset has increased in value. Yeah. You know, and, and to have that digital component tied to it that's just going to add another layer of longevity longevity, yeah. longevity to the value yeah and you mentioned uh the, your work with the nfl pa and uh and you know obviously you're working with a lot of different players associations on that front yeah. blockchain you know we, we as an athlete right you're the, the the ability to have the blockchain 
tied to you, tied to your goods? You know, is that something that is uh, talked about a lot with the players associations? How, how is the players approaching this opportunity with you? I think some of them are starting to get more under, get a deeper understanding of what that all means. Mm -hmm. uh, again, it's still an educational process. The players associations definitely understand it, you know, from a digital asset perspective and the value of tying, you know, the player to that digital asset. They understand that side of it. Or um, the physical you know, asset, the, right? Yeah, 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 for sure. So um, the, the individual players, I mean, based on our relationships, the things that they're doing for us, whether it's, you know, marketing content, signing autographs for our cards, you know, they get that part of it. You know, I've, we've had some interesting conversations over the last, you know, several months of more people become engaged in the marketplace due to the pandemic or for whatever reason, the investment reason. Um, you know, I heard someone yesterday uh, on NPR say, you know, the three things that are key to trading cards right now is, you know, nostalgia, their uh, level of art, uh, because it's completely changed since you and I were a kid. Uh, it's not just the picture, it's how it's presented. Um, and then the investment value, it's those three equations that are really mm. driving the surge in the marketplace. Mm. Yeah, I was happy with just a picture of a player. I didn't, <laughs> there was no art involved. <laughs> it was actually pretty bad art, if, you, if I remember correctly. Right. Um, yeah, you know sure. what, old school, back in the 70s, what, where you could scratch off the name. I thought that was pretty fun. But uh, anyway, no, another yeah. time. So yeah, there are things that we did with cards, like flipping card, flipping cards to see if you could win. You know, win those cards. You'd never flip a card. Oh now. no, you're so putting you it. In, that's going to be worse. Something. I don't want to break it. Uh, yeah, God forbid. Um, so your business, like everyone's, been affected by COVID. Some, some of the industry are dying. Right. Uh, some are actually thriving in this environment and. We've all had to deal with COVID in a myriad of ways. Um, in your case, you know, we've seen, look, leagues put on virtual drafts, you know, the Rams we talked about earlier unveiling their logos and their branding over digital campaigns. So COVID has just like changed everything. And I'm curious from your perspective, how has your business changed the most since COVID? I know you, we've recently talked about the live stream, the, the live streaming of the NBA finals. Mm -hmm. that you did and and how that actually uh, was able to increase your sales over with NBA China. Um, tell me some of your activations that you've done in COVID and how overall your business model has shifted since, uh, since we've all been under lockdown. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, I mean, obviously we've all been affected and, you know, we've been, you know, forced to think a little bit differently. I like to think that from a marketing perspective, we've always kind of thought digital first. Um, and we've always thought, you know, content, you know, from a player perspective in terms of telling their stories was really important. That still is the case. Um, you know, how do we go about engaging fans? We're so used to being in front of fans, whether it's at stadiums, whether it's, you know, at events like the Super Bowl or the NBA All-Star Game, how, with no events going on, how do we engage those fans? And so it really became into, you know, bringing that to life via digital you know, whether it was player Q&As, you know, before games, you know, just interacting with the players in Zoom rooms and all those types of things. But then, you know, some of the things that we've done, you know, more recently in China, you know, we launched our social platforms a year and a half ago over there uh, and then launched our online store on Tmall uh, back in April in the middle of a pandemic. We obviously didn't plan to, you know, launch a, an online direct store in China in the middle of a pandemic. It just happened. To be the time and and so um you know we've been working towards that 
And so at that point, there was no sports, right? So, you know, the one component that we did have while no sports were being played was players on cards and being able to interact with those players in, in, in other ways. And so, you know, that led to the rise, you know, in the pandemic, I think people, you know, got that, you know, wanted that connection to sports and trading cards brought that to life for them. You know, and as things started to slowly open up and the fact that, you know, the NBA started playing in the bubble, we had an opportunity with the NBA and NBA China when they opened up their uh, new store in Guangzhou. It's their largest NBA store in the world. Uh, they created a dedicated trading card space uh, within the store uh, for people to open up product and live stream that product, uh, which is a big component of what's happening in the trading card space now is this online case breaking. Everyone is online. It's the best socially distant community you could ever have. And thankfully, we've been building that for the last six or seven years with other case breakers, you know, and we're obviously the vehicle for that to, you know, be a part of the game. But uh, this last live stream we did during the NBA finals to coincide with the store opening, we had a live stream where we were introducing trading cards to, you know, the Chinese population. We had uh, Chinese influencers talking about the cards and what they meant and who the players were and really doing the storytelling. And it's funny you think about the old days, the home shopping network and those types of things and the show intel and then people buying in real time. I mean, that's literally what's happening in the space in China when it comes to live streaming. We actually just recently did one uh, with the NFL and an NFL live stream for NFL China uh, about two weeks ago and had, you know, tremendous engagement, sold, you know, six figure sums in, in minutes of our trading card product. Uh, just by bringing it to life and sharing it and talking about the products, you know, before a game. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it, you can appreciate the product. You can appreciate the, uh, the athlete. I like that home shopping network analogy <laughs> and you're with others. Again, your point of, Hey, we can't all be there uh, whether it's now or uh, when the, you know, the pandemic lifts, it's certainly, I think uh, what we're seeing across that community that you've, that you're creating. So um, yeah, kudos, and it won't go away to, when the pandemic's totally. over, it won't go away. It's definitely one of those elements that we're like, hey, we need to continue to build in on this and continue to do this. It's not just, it's one of those things that we've learned and we found like, wow, hey, this is something we need to have as part of yeah. our, you know, everyday toolkit, not what's just the, our pandemic toolkit. What's the coolest reaction you've seen? Someone uh, case breaking? Any any fun Fun uh, I, stories. <laughs> I think the fir I, the first time I saw it, which was really kind of resonated with me more than anything, was in 2014 when we introduced the um, our Prism trading card product with FIFA, and we had a, a person in Asia opening up our Prism trading our FIFA Prism trading card product, and they pulled out a one of one Lionel Messi autograph. Oh, and just cool. went crazy. And, um, you know, it went viral, you know, on video and, and people just, you know, it, it really kind of opened it up. And for me, it, you know, it was that realization like, wow, okay. You know, because when you used to get those great, great hits in a pack in a hobby store, the only people that ever saw it were the people that happened to be in the hobby store with you. Totally. Well, now the hobby store is the global community, yeah. you know, and people all over the world are watching these case breaks. So it's really kind of brought the hobby shop into a global community with these online case break things. Yeah. yeah. I remember bringing those pack of cards home, opening it, show my brother, maybe my, my dad yeah. knows about it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So aside from COVID, you guys obviously need to activate on-site, uh, you know, engage fans during you know, during, during good times, what, what does that look like for Panini? How might you be using technology and 
to create those on-site activations in, in normal times? Yeah, so um, in normal times and non-normal times, you know, we have a, you know, we give people the opportunity to create their own digital trading card when we're set up in a, at an event. We've kind of transformed that uh, this year and made it a, a traveling Giphy, GIF content lab. And so for us, it's become a, a medium for us to, uh, you know, connect with players uh, and capture some quick content with those players. So we've literally had this mobile airstream pull up to players' houses and say, hey, you know, we're outside. You need to come outside for about 30 minutes. And so we can capture this, this content that we can create a GIF around and celebrate you from a trading card perspective. And so, you know, what we've learned with fans, we've brought to the players and what we're bringing, what we're learning from the players, we're bringing to the fans from an engagement point of view. So that part is really important from a live activation point of view. Um, I think the other part that's really important is, you know, the role that we play with these guys. You know, I think about this, this NBA draft class that'll be drafted on Wednesday night. They didn't have a March Madness tournament. No one got to see them play. Mm -hmm. um, they didn't have their NBA draft in June when they were, you know, have dreamed their entire life to hear their name called on in June to be assigned to an NBA team and get into an NBA facility and start preparing for the season. You know, they didn't have a summer league. They didn't have, you know, the NBA rookie photo shoot where we capture a ton of content with them, you know, in their uniforms to put on trading cards. They didn't have any of that. And the one constant that they did have was us as a partner where they're signing autographs for us ready, you know, to go for whenever they were drafted by a team. And so, you know, on Wednesday night, we'll have, we've partnered with 12 uh, NBA players to be a part of their virtual NBA draft moments. We'll have social activation with them in real time during the NBA draft. We'll release trading cards of them in real time through our Panini uh, instant product um, on PaniniAmerica.net. So as soon as Anthony Edwards is drafted, as soon as LaMelo Ball is drafted, they'll have a card of that moment assigned to their NBA team that'll be available to fans. Mm. Um, so, you know, thinking about, you know, that process and, and what these kids have gone through really to think that a two and a half by three and a half piece of cardboard has helped get them through all of that when they didn't have anything else has been really, you know, compelling to me after being with Panini for 10 years to just kind of reinforce that. Yeah. 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 I mean, don't underestimate. Yeah. Athletes have been through so much and yeah, they're superstars and, you know, but at the end of the day, you're, you're, you're talking about, you know, the, the, the men, the women that are getting drafted for the first time. I can, I definitely remember my first trading card and yeah. where you were and you, you know, you're, you're just ecstatic about it. It's like, you made it look at, look, I'm on a trading card. So, uh, you know, the fact that you're being creative and, uh, and giving those players that platform, um, regardless of the situation is, uh, is certainly, certainly commendable. Um, yeah, and I think capitalizing on that emotion, you know, we talked a bit about the content, you know, we do a lot of storytelling where we're just part of the story, you know, totally. for that athlete. At the end of the day, the athlete on the card is what drives our business, you know, and so, you know, wanting to make sure that we're integrated deeply with that player and they understand it, but also sharing that with the community and the trading yeah. card community and letting people know how engaged we are with those players, you know, happens through storytelling and telling that through the process. And we had a Road to the Rated Rookie Series that we released with players um, going into the NFL draft. We focused on five players and their process uh, right in the middle of the pandemic. Obviously, we did not plan to have the pandemic be a part of the story, but it became a big part of the story. 
Yeah. Um, and had them push that, push that out on their platforms because for mm -hmm. us, it was their story, not our story. And we felt like the best path to tell that story was through their social platforms. Mm -hmm. uh, we'll do the same with uh, three NBA draft picks this year. Um, you know, and we'll start to roll those out here after NBA draft. Um, but there'll be names that everyone's heard of and, and, you know, you'll be able to share along their journey, you know, as they make their way into the league. Mm. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that. Cause um, in this month's behavior series we do at sports innovation lab, we're focusing on the behavior called own, which is about giving fans the opportunity to own a piece of the content and the sports and the athletes that they love. And you guys are at the absolute forefront of that. Tell me a little bit more about your digital strategy and how you've, how you've become more of a, this content production company. You're creating these documentaries or working with your partners to really highlight the athlete, highlight the moments, which is very different than just, hey, we're a trading card company. Um, yeah. what's, what's your digital strategy there? Well, believe it or not, trading cards is probably like the ultimate content company. Mm -hmm. you know, we consume over hundreds of thousands of photos that we put onto cards content. You know, we acquire 6.7 million autographs a year from players across all sports that come in through our building here in Texas, you know, that we then put onto cards to get out to fans. And so there is that physical tie in terms of content. So we've always been content. And then how mm -hmm. do we, you know, bring that to life in the digital space and across social platforms? And, and so we've had a number of different ways of doing that. But I think the biggest part is, you know, you want to be a part of the experience. You want to be a part of that player experience in terms of getting an understanding of who that player is and is a former, you know, player, you can appreciate, you know, you want people to know Angela, not for what you did on the ice, but you want people to know who Angela is off the ice. And, mm -hmm. and so that's where our job is from a Panini perspective and from a marketing perspective is, is to help people understand who these athletes are, whether they're on the field or off the field, whether they're on the court or off the court. And so, you know, that's where that storytelling comes into place in terms of these short, these short form, you know, documentaries yeah. or episodes that we, that we're, that we're pushing out from a content perspective now is because the, the one thing that we know more than anything is, you know, you might not be a fan of Patrick Mahomes, but if you see him off the field and see who he is as a person, you automatically have this connection, like, man, you know what? I like him. I want to collect him, you know? And so we've done that, you know, through these online case breaking, you know, where we've had players sit down and open up packs of cards and talk about the players on the cards, whether they were former teammates or talk about their experience playing against a player, you know, and just bringing that to life to the community so that people have a better understanding and a, and a connection to the player because yeah. connection to the player equals authenticity. Yep. And authenticity tied to our trading cards is, you know, the biggest and most important thing we, yeah. we can do. Yeah. I think you just highlighted, uh, get a key piece of our fluid fan research, which is, these fluid fans follow athletes and not necessarily teams or leagues or federations. They're, they're in it for the influencer. And to your point of, look, maybe I don't care about them as on the field, but I certainly care about them off the field. And, you know, when LeBron gets traded, I'm following him. So if that's, you know, really a piece of what our key, our research says, do you find that the, what you're doing and others are doing to empower the athlete, this athlete driven media to give them more visibility at the individual level is helping the players again why you're doing so many deals and you work with the NFLPA and then the APA around licensing and marketing and then second part to that question is 
if it is indeed shifting to the players, the power in some ways and the visibility and building up the individual brand versus maybe the league brand, is there a furthering of the gap between the, the haves and the have nots? Like, are you, do you see in the card market, which I think could be indicative, the trading card market, the biggest stars are even bigger. And, you know, cause they're the demand for those cards are skyrocketing relative to maybe 10 years ago when there was a little bit of a Delta, but not as much as we see today. So kind of two parts, like is the power shifting to the athletes in this market? Do you see that uh, as influencers? And then is there a big Delta between the, the best athletes, the most visible versus? Yeah, uh, so I, I think the first question, there's a couple of pieces there. So I, I want to keep track of all of them. But the first one is, you know, I mean, you know, giving the, the athlete that platform and we see it early on, especially on the rookie side where they're, you know, trying to make a name for themselves. And I think about, you know, these guys in the NFL rookie class and this NBA draft class, you know, that NFL rookie class, there was a process, you know, they knew where they were going. They knew that they were going to be drafted. They knew the things that they needed to work on, you know, and part of it was, you know, be known. Right. And so, you know, they go to the senior bowl. We just signed a partnership with the senior bowl. And, and so that senior bowl, you know, we're doing a lot of things right now from a digital component where we're introducing the guys that have accepted their invites this year to the senior bowl on, you know, across social platforms in a, in a trading card format. We have the ability to, you know, tell their stories early on, you know, at the senior bowl from a content perspective is we're in the process of negotiating partnerships with them to be on our trading cards and to sign trading cards for us. And for all of those players, is they move through that process and they get to their pro day and they do the things that they're supposed to do on the field. They also need to be known in these people, you know, NFL teams and leagues need to know who these people are, you know, not just on the field, they got plenty of tape to look at. They want to know who they are as a person. And so, you know, the road to the rated rookie series in this case really helped, you know, raise that platform for them and gave them another opportunity to do that, especially after their pro days were canceled they couldn't go to in-person meetings with NFL teams or doing Zoom calls with, you know, to determine their life. Like we're we're just having fun talking. You know, they're sitting there on the, you know, the biggest interview of their life with NFL teams on a Zoom call, not what they were, you know, brought up or told was part of the process. So I think that's definitely an important element in terms of, you know, raising the visibility of those players. I think, you know, um, is there a delta between the superstar and the guy and the guys that are not superstars? At the end of the day, you know, performance means anything and potential performance means, you know, just as much from a trading card perspective, right? So, you know, we go through six months, you know, in a normal NFL season where guys don't even play football, you know, and people are going crazy over their rookie cards. They haven't even stepped on a field yet in a regular season game and people are going crazy over it. Mm. Same thing on the NBA side, right? They're drafted mm-hmm. in June and there's this hype bubble that, you know, just builds until these guys step on the court in a normal non-pandemic year would be October. This year will be December, yeah. um, you know, with no March Madness. So there's, you know, certainly there's a, you know, a level of visibility where performance matters on the court and that equals superstar. But I think there's also this, you know, who's the sleeper? Everyone wants to collect the sleeper before they become the superstar. Yeah. And, you know, on the trading card side of it, that's why rookies are so important to the category uh, because it's that first card. You know, I I use John Morant as as a perfect example in that not a lot of people were watching Murray State basketball. They get to the tournament, you know, in March Madness and, and John Morant goes off for Murray State. 
And all of a sudden he's, you know, he should be the number one pick overall or the number two pick overall. And now he's rookie of the year. You know, I mean, talk about, he wasn't, you know, superstar. He played at Murray state. He didn't play at Duke, but Mm -hmm. he just won rookie of the year, you know? And so building that and that excitement and that energy that happens off of those platforms that are, you know, again, league or organization affiliated, right? Like the March Madness tournament gives them the platform to become that athlete that they, or showcase their talents is a better yeah. way. Of yeah. So it's a balance between the, between all of it a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Well, Jason Howard, the VP of marketing Panini America, um, appreciate your coming on the show and sharing your insights, given athletes, again, more visibility. I'm always, everyone knows this about me. I'm as a, as an athlete, Thank you, because uh, I always got companies that are helping the athlete more. I'm always going to give a little bit of extra love to. Um, but before you go, I want to finish with uh, four questions with number four, where I ask you some questions around innovation. Maybe you're prepped. If you're not even better, it's off yeah. the cuff. First, what's innovation mean to you? I mean, just the ability to continue to evolve and not sit still, take you know the things that are coming in from a platform perspective on the technology side and find ways of integrating them into what you're doing from a marketing component. Awesome. Yeah. And you guys are doing that certainly in the athlete-driven media space very well. So, uh, so kudos. Um, what about the most innovative person in our industry? What do you think? That's a good question. Give some love. Give some love to someone. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say person, but if I wanted to like, you know, if if there's someone that always seems to be at the forefront pushing the envelope the most, it's the NBA. Mm-hmm. You know, they always seem to be ahead of everyone else, um, you know, willing to take the chance on technology to kind of jump in. You know, for us, they they took a chance on us as a as a brand, you know, that, you know, had produced stickers you know, for 50 plus years and gave us a trading card license 10 years ago. And now, you know, we're a leader in the space and their, you know, NBA trading cards are as popular as any other sport, you know, in the world. So I, I would, I would give the NBA the innovation award for sure. All right. Well, like, look at the league. My last question, uh, sorry, most innovative company then in sports tech can't say, can't say your own, but someone you, you, uh, you look at also and admire the way that they approach uh, business? Oh, there's so many. I mean, you know, I think about the, you know, we talk about giving the people the platform to, um, you know, athletes, the platform to tell their story. And from a social perspective, I think, you know, a company like Open Doors uh, is really good where they're literally working with players to help build their social platforms and connect them to, to brands. You know, from a brand perspective, it helps make the process really efficient. Um, you know, I think about them, I think about Whoop and what they've done, you know, with the performance data, uh, they're just amazing. And then obviously, you know, the things that they're doing now and seeing how, how many people are utilizing it, because it's not just about, you know, being in the, you know, being in the gym and working out, it's the recovery part. And, you know, to have that type of a, you know, technology that helps a, a player understand all aspects of it um, is really compelling. All right. And uh, I usually ask the most innovative league team or federation, since you've already said the NBA, I'm going to ask you, who's the most innovative athlete? I've been asked this before, but I think you can answer this since you, you interface with a lot of them. Man, I, I don't, you know, <laughs> throwing you on the spot. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. I mean, you know, the, I, I think the bar is, you know, the standard is Kobe. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be honest, I mean, just, you know, his transition after being a champion to what he did off the court, 
you know, he, he was so influential in so many different ways. I mean, he goes out and wins an Oscar. He's got the Mamba Academy. You know, he's really kind of building that Mamba mentality. And guys like Jason Tatum is, you, you know, someone that follows the Celtics. You know, I see that. You know, I, I think that he would be one of the guys that kind of really stood out there. I, I don't know that there's a guy just, you know, that's kind of reached that mark just yet mm-hmm. um, in, a, in terms of a current athlete. Yeah. Uh, Certainly there is evolution on that side of it though. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of opportunity. I, I couldn't, you know, Co- I got to meet Kobe when I was the chief strategy officer of the LA Olympic bid. This is after he retired. I mean, he's just, he's just done so much and thought outside of the box and reinvented himself even after playing and obviously took a bet with you guys and doing things first. So yeah, uh, yeah he's certainly going to be missed. Um, but I think set in his short life, set an amazing standard for, how to approach, um, how to approach everything as an athlete. We're all, we're all trying to figure it out. Um, but, uh, but good, good, great answer. To your point, how to approach it as an athlete, but then how to approach it after you're no longer an athlete, you know, that's, that's not an easy thing to do as you know. Totally. All right, man, Jason Howard helping out, giving us some insights and innovation, what you guys are doing at Panini, just overall thinking, uh, your contribution on our on our leadership board. Thanks for uh, for for being on the podcast today and, and uh, giving us a little window into your world. Thanks, Angela. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Jason Howarth, VP of Marketing at Panini America. You were awesome. Thanks for joining me on the show today. It was awesome. It was great to hear about a market that is absolutely on the rise and providing not only athletes with a new engagement platform but fluid fans as well, given fluid fans what they want, where they want, how they want. I, I really love to see how Panini is working to market these athletes themselves, give them more of a voice um, beyond just the playing field and the visibility, obviously, within their company. Looking forward to seeing their work on the upcoming NBA draft this week. So if you're listening to this as we dropped this pod, stay tuned for the NBA draft and, and, and what Jason and his team are doing there. You know, I think he said it best when, uh, you know, some fans understand this digital collectible market. Uh, Some don't. If you're those that don't, hopefully this podcast shed a little light into it. Um, But that's, again, the job, uh, I think, of Panini is to educate them. And, you know, we see enormous inertia behind this market. Certainly, you know, think about these digital first food fans. They're absolutely moving in this direction. Um, so it was really interesting to hear uh, what Panini's doing. The market's not going away. It's just going to look a little different, uh, you know, whether you're five or 50. We all like collecting, uh, cracking open a box or a pack of cards. I get that nostalgia thinking about. There was actually a card company when I left my junior high school and they had hockey cards. And I still remember walking in and getting an Eric Lindros pack uh, of cards and his set back in the day. And I played with them actually in the NHL all-star game. Uh, they had a little celebrity game in 2017. And I remember just thinking like, man, I'm playing on the same ice as you and pushing you around in the corner. The guy's big. He, he definitely pushed me over, uh, but I was trying my best, but I remember just thinking, man, I used to love <laughs> collecting your card as a little kid. This episode brought me back to those days and certainly, um, uh, I know what Panini and, and others are doing in this space will continue to create those kind of lifelong memories um, for young sports fans, young fluid fans alike. And again, 
going to where they are, uh, which might be digital and not just uh, physical. So who knows, but uh, but thanks again for Jason for being on the show. Uh, I want to close by thanking my producer, as always, Jack Barlow, uh, my whole team at Sports Innovation Lab. A lot of things going on. Space is moving quickly. COVID just cracked this uh, industry open in terms of understanding tech and doing the right things to deploy uh, your limited budget in the right way. We, we think about that every single day. What's the best tech for the, you know, the biggest ROI and how do we help our clients do that? So thanks for what you guys are doing on that space. And uh, I want to close by thanking my listeners for tuning in. Um, feel free to subscribe, send you a big uh, high five if you do that uh, on iTunes, SoundCloud, or, or leaving us a review, obviously on Twitter, LinkedIn, at Sports iLab. Tell me what you think. I'm open to criticism. Believe me, I, uh, I was an athlete. Tell me, tell me what I'm, I should do better. Uh, <laughs> I encourage you to do that. Um, I'm a good athlete, a good, you know, coachable athlete, so to speak. So um, appreciate you spending your, uh, your time with me, uh, learning about Fluid Fans, and I'm excited to see you next time on the next Fluid Fan Podcast. <laughs>